Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and future, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Now, you will remember at the end of last year, we surveyed you, the audience, about where you would like us to take your Work With Purpose podcast. And one of the key points that was raised was the desire to hear from a variety of voices. Now, of course, I didn't take that personally, but I did think it was a great idea. The APS is such a vast enterprise with so many talented people, it just makes perfect sense. And I was only reminded of it again today of just how fortunate Australia is to have a public service of the quality that we do. I was in a meeting and seriously marvelled at the intelligence and commitment of my APS colleagues. So anyway, part of the plan in coming weeks, months and years will be for us to feature many of you and the important work that you're doing. Today's episode is about how the APS is managing high-priority, cross-cutting policy and delivery issues through task forces, and how the APS has developed the APS Mobility Framework to help meet the ever-evolving needs of government and Australian citizens. Both of these issues are an important part of the APS reform agenda. So the discussion today explores the benefits of the new online task force toolkit, which provides practical guidance on how to design and deliver an effective APS task force and how agencies can use mobility strategically. Today, we'll hear from APS staff members who have been in the trenches making task forces and mobility work. The online task force toolkit has just been released and can be accessed on the APSC website, while the APS mobility framework will be made available shortly. It's a great conversation, and I know you will get a lot from it. So please enjoy the conversation about task forces and mobility. Hello and welcome to the Work With Purpose podcast, coming to you from the IPA studio in Barton. My name is Chevelle Gray and I'm an Assistant Director in the Policy and Portfolio Strategy Branch at the Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, having just recently moved across from the Policy Projects and Task Force Office at the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet. Joining me today to talk all things task forces and APS mobility are Simon Duggan, Deputy Secretary, Economy, Industry and G20 Sherpa at PM&C, Pat Hetherington, First Assistant Commissioner at the APSC, and my wonderful former colleague, Theresa McMichael, Senior Advisor in the Policy Projects and Task Force Office at PM&C. So it's well established in the world of public administration that the problems facing society today are pretty complex and cross-cutting, and I think my panel members would agree, <laughs> and they require different ways of working to address them. One of the ways the APS has responded to those issues uh, over the past few years is through setting up task forces, which are often new teams formed for, with people from different areas 
for a short period of time to work collaboratively and develop a solution to some of these complex problems. Staff mobility is therefore a really big part of that kind of approach and we saw that uh, definitely last year with the movement of thousands of staff deployed across the APS to task forces in response to COVID-19. So even though task forces and staff mobility are proving to be effective ways of responding to demand and tackling these complex problems, to date there hasn't been much structure, guidance or resources in place to make those processes easier. Two new initiatives from PMNC and the APSC, a toolkit for task forces and the APS mobility framework are set to change this and we're here to learn more about them today. So I'm going to hand over to Teresa to get the discussion started. Thanks, Chevelle. Um, so to kick things off, I really just wanted to start off hearing a bit about your own task force experiences, um, sort of what types of task forces have you worked on and what sorts of issues were they set up to address? Um, so Simon, we might start with you. Yeah, great. Thank you. And, and thank you for inviting me to participate. I think it's a, a really interesting topic. Uh, so my experience with task forces, I had the opportunity to lead one um, going back six or seven years ago now, where um, I got a call from my secretary. Uh, I was actually boarding a plane on an international trip to Paris, and he said, guess what you're doing when you get back? Uh, and he said, you're going to run a task force. You're going to have three months. I'm going to give you the objective, but you're going to be the one who sets, sets your resourcing and you're going to set your inputs, and I'm going to hold you accountable for delivery. I went, great. knew nothing about the topic. Um, so I came back from overseas and, and hit the ground running. And I, I just... I just thoroughly enjoyed the experience. So a topic I knew nothing about, ability to bring together a team of, of experts from, from across different parts of government, different corporate expertise um, meshed with our policy expertise. And um, you know, three months, single mission, single purpose, working with, with a diverse range of experts, I just, I just found incredibly invigorating and, and a lot of good fun. So that was my sort of task force experience personally. And since then, um, in my current job, I've had the opportunity to oversee a number of task forces. So I've got three at the moment. I've had two that have just completed. So I've become pretty equipped at helping, uh, helping set them up and uh, setting them on a good path and, and helping them to, to succeed. So a bit of, bit of experience to draw on. Great. Thanks, Simon. How about you, Pat? What, are, what sort of task forces have you worked on or... I suppose um, I suppose my most recent experience working on a task force has been in the context of COVID-19. Uh, about sort of January or February last year when the coup committee was, uh, was meeting and talking about what they might do for the public sector in response to COVID, um, I wasn't there and I was volunteered to lead a task force looking at the critical functions of government. And so my boss came back and said, hey, I've volunteered you to lead this task force. And, and I was sort of a bit excited about it frankly, the excited at the prospect of working with colleagues across, across the service on something that was critically important. Um, also a little bit nervous because uh, I understood how important it was. I understood exactly what we're trying to get after um, and uh, just how short a time we had to, to resolve some of those things. So we pulled together a task force uh, of Bantus, predominantly across, across the service from all different agencies uh, and did some pretty fast, short burn work on, you know, what is it that you keep going? What are those critical things that we've got to do uh, in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, found it enormously rewarding, just a fantastic experience 
uh, to work on something that you know you could genuinely connect with the people that we're here to serve, um, and to build relationships that I sort of previously hadn't had with colleagues across the service. So, uh, didn't know anything about the topic, a bit like Simon, um, but uh, was thrust in there and, and able to get my head around it pretty quickly. And I think at the end of it, we we produced some pretty high quality work. Yeah, great. Sounds fantastic. Really interesting and important work there. Um, and how about you, Chevelle? What have, can you tell us a little bit about some of the task forces you've been involved with? Yeah, sure. So I think I can definitely echo Simon and Pat's sentiments around the work of task forces being so invigorating. That was definitely the case for the two that I've worked on. Uh, so the first was the National Waste and Recycling Task Force, which was set up uh, in the Department of Environment at the time, reported through to Simon, as I'm sure he well remembers. Uh, and that was a cross-agency task force set up to implement COAG's commitment to ban the export of certain types of recyclable waste uh, and to come up with a whole-of-government strategy to uh, build Australia's recycling capability. So it was a topic area that I uh, didn't know anything about, much like Pat and Simon mentioned as well. Uh, but it was really great to just get in there, um, learn learn on the ground uh, and contribute to something that was really meaningful um, and something that will make a difference to how Australia thinks about waste and recycling for generations to come. Uh, I then also uh, worked on a COVID-19 related task force as well. So came back from waste um, back to PMNC and worked on PMNC's internal COVID-19 task force. So uh, we were responsible for bringing together the health and economic considerations for easing COVID-19 restrictions uh, and advising national cabinets. So we came up with the three-step plan that ended up guiding Australia through the, the process of easing those restrictions. Fantastic. So looking back, I'd, I'd like to get your views on what you think, what everyone thinks task forces are, are good for. You know, why set up a task force? Why not just have a regular BAU team run a tackle an issue as a project? So any thoughts on that, Pat? Uh, sure, happy to go first. I think there's a couple of things that task forces are really good for. Um, the first is pretty obvious, bringing together diverse uh, ways of thinking about different problems, people with different skill sets, different backgrounds. Um, task forces are only made stronger by that diversity of thought. So that's the first and probably the most obvious thing. Um, I, the other thing that I've found task forces really useful for is building consensus. So often with these complex policy issues, complex problems that we're trying to solve, the hardest part is actually getting people to agree to the solution that's proposed. The, the very construct of a task force, when you bring people in from different agencies, right from the start helps to build that consensus. So, um, you know, you have people on board before the final product is produced and then when you produce it, the, the pathway is so much easier um, to having it agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Simon, anything to add on yeah. that? Um, just agree with Pat and I guess the additional thing which I think we've all just reflected on is, you know, that singular mission and focus that can really drive great team outcomes. Um, one of the things, as try as we might to collaborate well across the service, and I think there's some great great examples of where we do that, bringing a team together under that one mission uh, just drives, you know, such such great outcomes. And, you know, sometimes we, we do them virtually and, and that has some advantages as well. What it has a disadvantage, though, sometimes is just the network effects of getting, you know, great expertise together in the same room around a shared problem. So I, I think, it, you know, task forces have the capacity, particularly used well on things, again, that are sort of cut across the service. Um, one of the things that I think we need to be careful to do is ensure that with task forces that they're not substituting for 
if you like, capability within a particular department. I think that's always a risk and a worry, but I think if they're lifting out and they're thinking more in, in the collaborative space about how to bring together different parts of the service, and sometimes external expertise as well, it gives us a more flexible model uh, to bring that in. Yeah, great. Thanks, Simon. And Chevelle, any reflections on the sort of key advantages of task forces? Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that Pat and Simon have raised. It's those cross-cutting issues that really require an equally cross-cutting response. Um, and as Pat said, the consensus of having all of the different perspectives in the room, uh, it's just a really efficient model of, you know, task forces often operate in a really constrained time frame on high priority issues. Uh, and it's just really efficient to have all the key players there uh, working together collaboratively on an issue as opposed to spread out uh, with their regular focus as well as trying to direct some attention to this high priority work. So it's a really efficient and effective way of getting things done. Um, the other thing I'd add is that because they're such fast paced and dynamic environments, they can be really good opportunities for exploring new ways of doing things and new ways of working. Um, and that can be new policy ideas as well as new processes um, and capability development thoughts as well. So it's just an environment where a lot of innovation can happen um, and I think that comes from that collaboration as well. Thanks. And what about on the flip side of that? Are there any times when task forces are not the best um, mechanism or where they might be a bit less effective? Simon, you mentioned that task forces are great when they're used well on things. So um, can you think of times when they're not used well on things? Yeah. So when we... Issues that are sort of important, um, often it's become a bit of a, a go-to to think, well, is this sufficiently important that we should set up a task force and allocate a dedicated team to breaking it down? We go through uh, a bit of a process of thinking through whether or not the task force model is the best approach. And one of the things, as I sort of touched on earlier, that we think about is, is this something that, if you like, is an existing function within an existing department? Um, and so is what we're hearing from government actually a reaction to the need to bol bolster the capability or the capacity within that existing, gov existing department? If that's the case, then we will, in a sense, we'll try and do that as distinct from lifting it out of the department and creating a task force. Because task forces can come with, there are some, some challenges and some potential costs. And in particular, um, I mean, firstly, you're drawing the experts out of their area um, so really important when you set up a task force to make sure those links back into their departments are maintained and they're strong. But the second thing is, um, you know, implementation of task force outcomes is really important. And so for us in PM&C, for example, we're really conscious that at the end of a task force, getting the, the work or the outcomes of the task force well integrated into the line department that then needs to deliver the outcomes is really important. So again, I wouldn't lift something out of a line department uh, without thinking very carefully about the, what we need to do in terms of the cost at the other end of, in terms of embedding it. Because once you take something out, senior leadership in the department has less visibility and perhaps less ownership of the issue. You've taken it out of the, I guess, the, the core responsibilities of the line area that may be um, responsible ultimately for implementing. So their sort of lack of engagement with the policy design means that their capacity to implement is reduced. So I think there are some real there are some, some real considerations that you need to bring to bear before you pull the trigger and decide a task force is the way to take forward this particular issue. Yeah, 
Definitely. Um, that's something that we cer certainly heard during our consultations with stakeholders when we developed the Task Force Toolkit. Um, in terms of that implementation side of things, do you have any tips or suggestions on how you can get those line areas to implement and embed the policy after the task force is wrapped up? Yeah. I mean, it starts with really strong engagement at senior levels of those who will ultimately be um, I guess, responsible for implementation. So the task force working, you know, even for example, if it's physically located in PMNC, working very closely with the senior leadership of the department that will become the implementers all the way through. So they're, they're on the journey. Um, but also to the extent that those, again, who will be responsible for implementation are part of the task force and therefore are able to, to help you design the policy or the program response to the, the challenge that you're facing that absolutely helps um, with the post-task post force implementation. Um, Pat, any reflections on where task forces might not be as effective? I think, uh, I think Simon's actually covered probably most of the points that I would make. I mean, no small amount of effort goes into pulling together a task force. You are dragging often quite senior people out of their line jobs. And so you do need to be very deliberate about the sorts of issues you go after. And I think um, uh, it's been said well, you know, it's those cross-cutting issues. I think where deep domain expertise is required on a particular problem, they don't necessarily lend themselves to that task force methodology. Um, going to the implementation side of things, nobody likes having a solution thrust upon them after all the work has been done. So I couldn't support more the, the comments here around getting people engaged early, particularly if an agency is going to be the implementing agency, having them on from the start, critically important to the success. Um, you know, the, the policy piece, the solution piece is in some ways the easy part. Sometimes all the problems come to bear in the implementation side of the house. And so I think that early engagement is important. Certainly the authorising environment, who is supporting this, who is pushing this from a senior leader um, perspective, um, really does add a lot of weight to the success or not of, a, of a, uh, the outcomes of a task force's work. Um, but certainly where, where there is an agency that has primacy um, on a particular issue, sometimes it's not appropriate to pull people together and start solving problems that they can solve. It might be a matter of just bolstering that workforce in some way to help push through something that they've been unable to get through. Thank you. And Chevelle, anything to add on what Simon or Pat have said? Yeah, I completely agree with everything that's um, been said so far. The only thing I would add is, uh, and it's kind of what Simon mentioned in his opening remarks about the task force experience, what makes them really effective is that sole singular purpose and that focus and uniting around that. So uh, that I definitely think is one of the things that really drives task forces and what makes them work. So uh, scoping out what problem it is that the task force is solving um, and also the trade-offs with doing a task forces versus just doing a project in-house, uh, explore, fully exploring that side of things before committing to the task force, I think is really important. If you go ahead with a task force and it kind of, you know, carries on for much longer than it needs to or it loses that drive and that singularity of focus, uh, then essentially you've kind of um, taken a bit of a gamble um, and it hasn't really paid off at the end of the day. So doing that scoping and early work um, to, to really nail down the purpose of the task force and getting everyone united around that is what's going to make it the most effective. Thanks. So my next question, I just want to know, looking back to the first time you worked on that task on your task forces, so six or seven years ago, Simon, um, and last year when you got the call, Pat, when you were told the first time that you needed to lead a task force, how did you know what to do? 
So what information or guidance did you have to help you with the next steps? Happy to talk first on that, if you like. So, I mean, that, that focus, we've talked about the singularity of focus a little bit here. That was pretty clear in terms of what was the task force I was leading trying to achieve. So I didn't have any concerns. This is going to sound silly, but the most difficult thing um, for me in leading a task force was actually the administrative side of things, right? So um, there's an awful lot to be said for good administration. All of the kind of project management side of things, how do you harness the diverse skills of the team, et cetera, are pretty well practised at um, leading, going into the task force and certainly all of my colleagues who were on that task force were equally well practised in some of those things. But um, how do you set it up? How do you... How do you get it to run effectively? How do you make the most of technology? How do we, we were playing around with gov teams trying to figure out how do we get this thing to work for all of us? How do we collaborate properly uh, virtually? All of those things were, were terribly challenging. And uh, again, it sounds, sounds silly, but they're the things that slow down the work. They're the things that get in the way. Proper record keeping, um, also vitally important. Having somebody who can do some of this administration identified early in from the start, I think is pretty important. Uh, where we got to with, obviously, the response to COVID uh, was audited by the ANAO. Um, and if we hadn't had some of those record-keeping practices in place, then I think we would have had a worse result in the context of the audit. But we were able to demonstrate the work that we did. But that didn't come together quickly. That was something we were trying to do on the fly. And I think, um, so for me, get it set up right administratively, get the right people in who have that diverse set of skills from the outset, and it goes a lot more smoothly. Mm, great. And Simon? So I, I just echo that. I mean, I think the project management side of, of task forces is absolutely essential. I guess the only thing I'd, I'd supplement that with was I spent a lot of time in the first week after returning from overseas when I was leading the task force, first of all, meeting with all the, the key stakeholders to understand what their objectives were for the task force outcomes and understanding from their point of view where the, what the, the pinch points were um, and any sense that they had in terms of, I guess, the, the direct contributions and lines of work that we would need to contemplate as part of the task force work so that in parallel with doing the, the project management on the substantive side of the, the problem that we were asked to solve, those two things were coming together early on. Um, so I, yeah, I guess... And what the other thing I did was suspended my initial thoughts about, oh, I think I know where this one's going to lead... It's always easy um, to sort of think that you know the solution when you start at the outset. So I've made myself the discipline of actually going to those stakeholders with just very open questions and saying, here's what I understand the task I've been set with. What are your perspectives? What are your objectives from this? And so by the end of that first week, I had all those perspectives and was able to craft really great terms of reference, which circulating that, all the key stakeholders were able to go, yep, you've nailed it. Um, Let's, let's proceed on, on that basis. Okay, great. And Chevelle, um, how, how do Simon and Pat's experiences as senior leaders setting up new task forces compare with yours um, working as an APS6 or an EL1? Yeah, definitely. I think Pat and Simon have demonstrated what we would call best practice in terms of setting up task forces, you know, en engaging uh, with all the key stakeholders early and using those inputs to shape the terms of reference and what the task force will be delivering. Um, and Pat mentioned the importance of getting uh, all your administrative support in place. That is, that is hugely important. 
Uh, I think from my experiences, um, Teresa, as you know, working in the policy projects and task force office, uh, we work in an agile and dynamic way, moving from project to project. So really the task force environment isn't all that dissimilar from what we would say is our BAU. But uh, there's definitely a huge amount of challenges um, with a task force, just in that it is for, for most other people, uh, it's so different from BAU. You know, in a regular role, your sections and branches and divisions are pretty well defined and everyone knows what their role is. With a task force, you've got to come up with all of that from scratch and you've also got to deliver something to the minister by the end of the week. So when it comes, when push comes to shove, uh, often getting the deliverables done um, comes first. Uh, and then working out the team structures, who's doing what, what the roles and responsibilities are, project management, that all gets pushed to the side, but eventually uh, there comes a need, a really pressing need to get all that in place as well to make it effective. So uh, luckily we were able to bring some of that to the task forces that I worked on, but if I hadn't had that prior experience, I think I would have definitely been quite lost uh, going into a task force for the first time, for sure. So to that point, Teresa, uh, about being lost, you know, really, if I hadn't known, hadn't had the experience and background that I had. Uh, I think that was a really key part of the project that you and I have worked on to develop this task force toolkit was the fact that there isn't uh, any consistent guidance or a rule book or tips and tools for setting up a task force. Uh, even though we've, we've heard that they can be really, really effective, uh, there is often a bit of inertia and a bit of, a bit of pain at the beginning, so to speak, to really get them off the ground. Um, and it's just, I think, because there aren't uh, any resources and guidance in place. So can you tell us about how the Task Force Toolkit is set to change all of that <laughs> and how it all came about? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Chevelle. Um, so, yes, as you said, it came about due to this sort of lack of support and guidance available out there, even though task forces are commonplace across the APS. Um, it's something I witnessed myself just over the last, several times over the last few months since working on this project, when I received calls from people about three new task forces saying, I've just been told I need to set up a task force. What do I do? You know, what, what advice can you give? So we were the policy projects and task force office was commissioned by the coup committee toward the end of last year to develop a practical online toolkit for task forces. Um, and the other sort of impetus for this was uh, the government's commitment to develop best practice guidance on problem solving and dynamic ways of working across agencies, which is one of its um, responses to one of the recommendations in the APS review. So we developed the toolkit. Um, it provides user-centred guidance at every stage of the task force lifecycle, from scoping and setup to operations to wind down. And we developed it based on the insights of hundreds of people across the APS. Uh, we conducted interviews and workshops and focus groups and a survey um, with APS up to DEPSEX and consulted over 700 staff who've worked on task forces. And based on those insights, we uh, created the toolkit. It's based around seven key topics, things like scope and governance and staffing, etc. And each topic has tips for success and common problems and handy resources such as checklists and templates and things like that. Great. So who do you think the toolkit is for? Like who should, who should go out and use it? <laughs> so we designed the toolkit to be used by staff at all levels. Um, although some of the resources are probably more um, relevant for staff at certain levels. 
So, for example, we created a task force on a page um, which we designed with busy SES in mind. We thought the thinking behind that was if you've only got time to look at one thing in this whole toolkit, what should it be? So we created a, the task force on a page has our top tips for success um, at every stage of the task force lifecycle. And then that links to all of the topic pages, um, which has some more detail on what to do at all of those different stages. Um, and we probably designed that with EL2s to band ones in mind. And then you can link to all of the resources such as the checklist and the templates, and there are example governance structures and example terms of reference, et cetera, which are probably more for APS and um, EL staff. The other thing I would like to mention is the lessons learned repository. Um, so that was something that several stakeholders suggested, noting the value of learning from the experiences of others. Um, and there was a real desire to um, have a way to share those experiences. So we created the repository where task forces could upload their learnings, things like what worked well, what didn't work well and why, and then share it um, on there for the benefit of others. So there's actually nothing on there yet, but I really hope and encourage um, task force leaders to start contributing and, and using that resource. Absolutely. Thanks, Teresa. And uh, if we want leaders to go and start taking a look at those resources, contributing to the lessons learned, and for anyone that's just interested in checking out those resources, whether you're working on a task force or looking to work in a more dynamic way in your BAU work, uh, where can listeners find the toolkit? Uh, so the toolkit is on the APSC website, um, and I'm sure the kind folk here at IFA will put that on the website. Um, so even though PMNC developed the toolkit, we all agreed that the best home for it was with the APSC, given the Commission's role in building capability across the APS and the synergies the toolkit has with the new APS mobility framework. So I just wanted to say thank you to APSC for building and hosting the site for us. Uh, so as we've talked about with the Task Force Toolkit project that Theresa and I worked on, um, one of the key things is staff mobility, getting the right people on board early, being able to move people around and bring all the key players uh, in to be part of the task force is something that will really set it up for success from the outset. Um, and so I think that leads us quite well, Pat, into what the APS mobility framework is, is set out to do. So can you tell us in a nutshell what it's all about? Sure. So... We've been doing a, a bunch of work, and the task force piece is included in this, but we've been doing a bunch of work about, I guess, what are the use cases for mobility across the public sector? Um, where do we think it's appropriate? Where do we not think it's appropriate? We've had a discussion here already about, you know, sometimes mobility is not the answer to every problem. Sometimes you actually want that deep expertise, and I, I think we need to be quite strategic about the way we think about mobility. So we've looked pretty deeply at three use cases. We've talked task forces, so I'll, I'll move to a couple of others. The first is um, a surge reserve, and uh, you know people may have heard of this before, it's been in the media a little bit, but how do we respond as a service to things like COVID-19, to bushfires, et cetera? Uh, you know, in the context of COVID, um, we surged a couple of thousand people into Services Australia to support the, the Job Seeker program, um, basically making sure that Australians had food to buy, you know, had food and money to buy, you know, food, water, shelter, all of those sorts of things, which strangely enough in the context of a, um, a crisis seems to be the most important thing. Um, so, 
you know, when do you use this? How do we prepare ourselves for whatever that next crisis is? So we've done a, a, a power of work around uh, establishing a surge reserve. And, the, and I guess what we're looking at there is between three and 4,000 volunteers who are pre-volunteered to support a crisis for short periods of time. So up to eight weeks, the outset of a crisis, we could call on the surge reserve, generalist in nature. We could take large numbers of people and put them into those areas where we need to put them into to support um, you know, the government response to a crisis. Um, typically there we're looking at, as I said, generalists, some resilience training, um, really to do some of that potentially administrative type work. So there's a bunch of work going into developing the frameworks around that. So we make sure that we can do that quickly and at scale. Part of the issue that we had with um, response to COVID was that was a time consuming process to find volunteers, to bring volunteers, to induct volunteers into agencies. Um, it took longer than we would want it to take um, in, in the context of a crisis. So that's, that's one element of it. I guess the, the second element of it, we've talked task forces, the second element that I would go to is kind of professional development. So if you think about um, uh, the review of the public sector, it talked about mobility, it talked about building capability. Those two things kind of intermesh quite, quite nicely. Um, so targeted kind of capability building of our people. People learn an awful lot when they get put into different environments, they get to learn different ways of doing things from others. And so kind of identifying talent, identifying people who need um, develop in a particular way and identifying mobility opportunities for them, um, I think is another area that, that's critically important to mobility. There may be others, but the sort of the surge reserve, the task force, and then this targeted kind of professional development opportunity are the three that we focused on. Um, and so the framework really covers those and how to, how to best employ those things. Yeah, that's really excellent. Can you tell us more about uh, what the framework will look like for managers that are on the ground that uh, could be looking for ways to support their staff and to support greater mobility across the APS? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it, first of all, uh, it'll have all the information in a single place, right? Something that we've we've lacked in terms of mobility is a bit of cohesiveness of, you know, where do, where do you go to to find information? There'll be some really practical toolkits, checklist type things. You've seen that with the task force. There are checklists to really get people thinking about how to do this. Um, but, you know, I think with the surge, there will be a raft of materials that people will be able to have access to. It will detail um, quite a bit in terms of responsibilities of Public Service Commission kind of coordinating the surge, the responsibilities of individuals who want to volunteer for the surge reserve, um, responsibility of, of agencies who have volunteers for the surge and certainly the responsibilities of those agen agencies who might be a recipient of surge volunteers. So, the, you know, there'll be all that sort of information that will be available to people to help uh, inform the decision to use mobility and then to make it work effectively. Great. And uh, Simon, how do you see the mobility framework fitting in with the broader APS reform agenda? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, the capacity... I mean, the importance, I guess, of surging, you know, great public servants into areas of high priority during a crisis, really important from the point of view of what we're here to do, um, serving the Australian public. But I just think about the enormous opportunity for the individuals involved. I mean, the most fun I've had in my career have been when I've been, you know, pulled in to do something that's urgent, it's high priority, you've got a short period of time. The relationships and the friendships I've developed through that have just, you know, been so much so much deeper than the usual work experience. So I think it's I think it's great for the departments. It's great for the individuals. Um, in terms of the how it relates to, to I guess broader APS reform, I think this is part of the more general 
trend and push, and I think it's, it's a very positive one towards people thinking about their careers as more of an APS career rather than uh, a career within a particular sort of stovepipe of a portfolio. I think, you know, the experiences that you can get, and I'm fortunate, and you, know, you guys are fortunate too, to have sort of seen multiple um, different um, portfolios and, I guess, government policy objectives. And what it does in terms of broadening your skill set, your horizons and your capacity, what you're then able to bring to each new challenge that you confront, just brings enormous value to you as an individual in terms of your own human capability, but also then what you take into, you know, your ability to support the government um, in, you know, supporting the Australian people. So I, I think that, you know, this mobility is just essential for, for building overall human capability and the, and the capability of the public service. If I can just add to that, there's a couple of really important points there. Um, you know, part of the criticism of the public service has been this siloed approach to resolving problems, making policy and those sorts of things. Um, I, I, I mean, I countless times, colleagues that I've worked with on task forces, I've been able to reach out to break down those barriers very quickly when you, when you need to resolve a problem quite quickly. So the point about, you know, colleagues that hopefully you'll have throughout your career, absolutely fantastic way to build those through mobility, whether it's through task forces or through surge opportunities. I believe um, a lot of the, our junior APS staff who did get seconded into Service Australia will look back in time very fondly on that opportunity to build those net networks across the system. Um, so we have a couple of um, questions posed by IPA's Future Leader Committee. So one, the first one from Michael Sinise from PwC, which is what barriers and opportunities exist to the long-term success of mobility across the APS with respect to the variability in enterprise agreements across departments? That's probably more one for me, I think, Simon. Uh, I'll take that one. Um, look, I, I hear this a lot as it happens. And I think in, in my experience, and I, I have some, I was involved in mobilising people into Services Australia. Um, actually, people talk about that as a barrier a lot more than it really is. And we brought people from many, many different agencies into Services Australia as the example you know, com car drivers, people from tax, all, like all over the place. And in practice, um, different enterprise agreements were not the barrier that people actually think they are. Um, it is true that, you know, when you're looking at mobility between agencies, enterprise agreements are certainly part of somebody's consideration, but there's a lot more commonality in our enterprise agreements than you might think. Look at superannuation, look at leave entitlements, look at flexible work arrangements. Actually, they're, they're they're pretty common across most agencies. So I think people can overplay the impact that differing em employment agreements have across the service. Thanks, Pat. Um, Simon, I'll direct this one to you. This is from Holly Noble from the Department of Finance. What are the main lessons you learned from being part of a task force? Did it give you a different perspective when returning to your day job or taking on a future role? And do you think that being part of a task force is an experience all future leaders would benefit from? And if so, how can they best put themselves forward? Yeah, great. So, I mean, the, the key lesson I learnt um, was the importance of getting the right people involved in a task force. I think if you're able to mobilise excellent people, then task forces are, uh, run very smoothly. Um, I think we've, I've already touched on, you know, the, the importance of you know, building relationships across the service and Pat mentioned that you know task forces are an excellent way of of doing that um, so I guess in terms of you know would I recommend 
people join task forces? Absolutely. I mean, I, I sort of fondly reflect back on the first task force I was involved in and, and the work that we did. I mean, it was hard. Um, in particular, I guess one thing I'd emphasise is the first two weeks in the establishment of a task force when you know, often they're established because there's a really urgent, important issue that needs to be resolved and there's, a, there's an impatience for, to see progress. Getting your, right, your terms of reference, getting the right people in the door, getting your project planning, starting to demonstrate products, so starting to update people on your progress around those issues. If you can do that at the start of a task force, you can set yourself up for the life of a task force. So that two-week surge feels really hard but incredibly important. So, yeah, I thoroughly, I think in terms of a career experience, um, both from the point of view of getting to know colleagues across different areas, but also just some of the um, the important things you learn about how to bring together and integrate different perspectives towards an issue, I think just invaluable. So with the help of new resources like the Task Force Toolkit and the APS Mobility Framework, uh, I think we can see task forces and a more flexible APS as being part of our uh, working future going forwards. Um, and that'll really, I think, set the APS up for a more dynamic and responsive public service. Uh, so I'd like to thank Simon, Pat and Teresa for joining us today and being part of this excellent discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Chevelle. And a big thanks there to Chevelle Gray from the Policy and Portfolio Strategy Branch at the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. And thanks also to Teresa, Simon and Patrick for their contributions. Ladies and gentlemen, Work With Purpose is a part of the GovComs podcast network. And thanks, as always, for you for giving up some of your valuable time and attention once again. And please, if you could share, rate or review our Work With Purpose program, that will help it to be found. Thanks also again to our great partners here at IPA and at the Australian Public Service Commission, who have been so supportive in making Work With Purpose a success. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me once again. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks with the next edition of Work With Purpose. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 